I don't always like to read a synopsis because I'm so into like the no spoilers, just be like surprised right. and let the reader usher me into it. Um, but I could see with this one, like, you know, a, a little bit of context, you know, at least for like what era of time is this coming out of someone like Haruki Murakami. You kind of need that for him too, because right. <laughs> he's brilliant, but really weird. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, one of the, my favorite books that I've ever read was by him too. So, Oh, which book? Uh, Kafka on the Shore. Hmm. Um, that's, I'm trying to think about it. What's that book even about? It's about this. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, you know, a younger boy kind of like runs away from home or like vent leaves home for the first time and uh, you know kind of falls in love with this older woman who is like in love with this ghost. And there was some some tie between like a, a present story and a very very far past story, like romance, murder, something something, and just like you know, but in typical Haruki Murakami style, just like really gorgeous prose gorgeous language and like these weird weird sexual scenarios and everything <laughs> so that has nothing nice. to do with the great divorce no no i wouldn't imagine so <laughs> for this sort of thing like doing this book club i feel like i should like should switch into like like npr mode like super like now we're going to hear <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking that or like we should just get some like dressing gowns have a <laughs> Have a snifter of brandy at seven uh-huh. o'clock in the morning uh, and a cigar. I'm sure my apartment complex won't mind. I'm so down. So. Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast. Conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Welcome, listener, to the Word and Journey podcast. Uh, Stories and ideas that shape us and make us think. Uh, my name is Moses, and I am here with my very good friend, very special guest, Jake. And um, we're talking about a book. This is a very first time doing this. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And yes, it'll, it'll be fun. So yes, we are starting with The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis uh, from 1946. That's very old now. That's I'm not going to try to do math. 80 years old or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, it does definitely makes me feel very fancy and very smart. To read. I always forget that C.S. Lewis writing is so British. I mean, dang. It's very it's very British. Um, yes, uh, you kind of have to have to read it in, in an accent and, mm-hmm. and imagine that. Or I don't know, maybe maybe me reading with a cigar would help because I would just <laughs> get you more into the mood of it. Um, but he's I, I I had it's been a while since I've read anything by C.S. Lewis. Also, well, almost. Um, I think last year I read The Chronicles of Narnia with me with me with my kids, mm-hmm. and that that was delightful. And and again, very British. You kind of have to read it with accents. Um, but it's 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 kid story. And then jumping into this, it's. Uh, maybe not quite as dense as his his nonfiction, 
but still like in the preface you run into you run into a line like this which uh in my in my ancient copy of the book um was already underlined but he but he, he basically opens with a line like this that says well, it's not the very first line, but he says, the, the attempt is based on the belief that reality never presents us with an absolutely unavoidable either or that granted skill and patience and above all time enough, some way of embracing both alternatives can always be found that mere development or adjustment or refinement will somehow turn evil into good without our being called on for a final and total rejection of anything we should like to retain. <laughs> so <laughs> that was one of those lines I had to read like four times uh-huh. to what I was saying. I think he, I think he's saying that um, contrary to people who would say otherwise, there there is such thing as clarity and distinction, and um, and I think we might find getting into the story like there it kind of has to be if there's going to be any sort of redemptive arc. Um, like there has to be a difference between good and evil, heaven and hell, and sort of squirreling kind of if i understand the story right but they, there has to be a distinction or people people's actions really do matter because they're like there's very distinct paths that people go on and um or different life trajectories and their actions really matter so yeah yeah it's um it, it, we haven't gotten into really necessarily the preface so far within the because we're going to be talking about the first two chapters today um but that's um, a a good point. It's like kind of outside of the the scope of this podcast. I feel like, but it's uh, it's interesting that we're deal we're talking through this book at the same time where I'm kind of walking through like theories of atonement as far as you know, like how how does Christ's sacrifice um, reconcile us to God effectively? And that's that's a very short hand wavy. Um, th- kind of way of describing what what theories of atonement are and so it's been you know i'm in an odd place in my theological journey to say the least because this is this is one of the biggest questions i've ever had and i've not like i've had these before but i've always shied away from them so i'm excited to get through the book no matter what um i know a lot of people in the in the same sort of space uh, questioning theologically, especially like I, I surround myself uh, virtually with a lot of folks uh, who have what's what's the the hipster term for it now? Deconstructed, deconstructed, um, yeah. yes. And they, a lot of folks, don't like C.S. Lewis's writings, um, which is it's actually a new perspective for me. Everybody who I grew up around loves C.S. Lewis. I don't actually have a whole lot of experience with his writings, and so I'm excited to uh, to read through this. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, we we love him because he's secretly orthodox. <laughs> so, no, I believe he's he, he's Anglican, but he's the way that he writes is is very consistent with with the Eastern Orthodox Church and views. And so we we sort of we we, we claim him as our own uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, um, I'm super glad that you're asking those questions. Those are really good, hard, scary questions to ask. Um, I remember, yeah, I think I. I first acknowledged my own like deconstruction process, like when I got to Bible college, which was like this terrifying thing to be like, I've like made it to like Bible college, like the bastion of Christendom. And I don't even know <laughs> if I believe in God anymore. Uh, yes. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was, that wasn't at all the end of the story and I'm delighted with where it ended up, but good anyway. Uh, okay. So what about this book, the great divorce? Have you ever read this? 
No, this is my first time. Um, and so I was, <laughs> I was, uh, reading, I actually downloaded it through Kindle and Audible, uh, partly because like, I wasn't sure how I wanted to start taking notes um, so that I could appear all uh, put together and smart for this <laughs> podcast. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to it in the car at first and then I was uh, rereading it later. But when I was first listening to it in the car, I hadn't even read the description, like back of book sort of description they would have on, on Amazon. And I'm just thinking, what is going on? Where are we? This town with a bunch of empty buildings and this guy that just wants to get away from everybody and a bus stop. And Napoleon. Oh, yeah. And Napoleon. <laughs> Napoleon shows up uh, in the second <laughs> chapter. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, oh, and, and, what I mean, we're talking about the first two chapters, but the bus just suddenly flies and nobody's really all that surprised. They're like, the main character's like, huh, that's weird. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And I don't know if that's just like a British thing. <laughs> or <laughs> yeah yeah uh maybe maybe some of what i think we might be running into is, is genre it's mm -hmm. it's it's very much a fantasy story or like borderline f maybe not quite like fairy tale-ish because it's not like not like there's there once was a castle and then there was a dragon um right. but it but a very a very he very quickly creates the sense that we're we're not in normal time and space and this is this is not a normal story uh right because yes it's like this uh, flying bus on this stormy night and there's all of these really cranky people yeah uh, yeah so which for um okay so so for people uh listening along yeah so it's um almost my first time reading it i i started it years ago um because my wife was taking the c.s lewis class at um at our at our college um and so she read a whole bunch of c.s lewis books and i read a couple because you kind of have to um being a conservative protestant homeschool kid um but i'm, and I'm almost kind of sad that i did read all of those books like in high school and early college because i just didn't have the life experience to really grasp like what this was so i'm very much enjoying it now but yes it's weird um so synopsis how would you how would you describe the synopsis so far i've got that um uh, the protagonist gets aboard this flying bus <laughs> loaded with disgruntled passengers bound yeah. for some other place. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I have. So it's um, you, you get the sense of this being kind of a, a drab place. Um, he, our protagonist whom I don't, we don't have his name. Uh, kind of queues up. I'm using the word queue because it's a British book in in a bus stop line, <laughs> and people are already quarreling. There's there's at one point a couple almost immediately when he gets in line that's um, the uh, the wife says something the effect of ah screw it this is taking too long I want to go home and the uh, the husband says well I was only here because you wanted to be here and then they go walk off and. Um, this kind of continues on. There's a man that gets punched out of line and he goes to the back and people are just quarrelsome. And this continues on like um, as, as the bus finally arrives and when the bus is arriving, uh, it's apparently in comparison to this very drab place, like this beautiful bus and people, <laughs> there's somebody who's complaining, like, why don't they spend more money on housing here? Um, and then uh, the bus driver also seems quite happy. Uh, at least that's that's the way he's described. Although there's no interaction with him and the characters, and um, before long, 
the bus starts kind of just driving and then taking off into the air. They start seeing the town fade away. And then there's another fight on the bus. Uh, and apparently it's a scuffle. There may have been knives and a gunshot. Uh, I think there were knives and a gunshot. Yeah. And then, but everything's just like, oh, and now it's calm again. And I'm at a different spot on the bus after talking to this. Uh, I, I think the protagonist was first talking to the communist. Yeah, the the unappreciated communist. The unappreciated, yeah. He, he feels uh, very unappreciated. Yeah, he he thought communism was the best thing, and then was very disappointed with his with his cohort, and then saw what happened in Russia, and then he said, "Ah, Sweden, that's the place where I needed to be." And uh, eventually, and mind you, by this point, I had still not read the description, so I don't know what's going on. He says, "Oh yeah," and uh, after my wife was mean to me, it was a bit more than that. Um, I threw myself under a a car. What? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> and so I finally yeah. read the description. I was like, oh, okay. So these are allegories of, um, of heaven and hell. And so yeah. uh, that, that made a lot more sense. Uh, now at this point, I, I would assume that this is the bad place, but then again, I haven't read the entire book. So it sounds maybe this is sort of an in-between. Um, and so at some point also the characters talk about how, uh, people can build houses and anything they need with just their imagination, but it's not quote unquote real. Uh, and, and the book do- doesn't quite get into that yet, but there is also in one of the characters, this fear of like something that happens at night. And from what I gather, night has never happened in this place. Right. It's the eternal twilight. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, and then people are mad because the the characters are whispering. Like, how dare you be whispering? You should be prosecuted, I think one of the characters said. Like, these people are, they will take any chance to quarrel. In fact, that's why Greytown, I think that's... I think it's term, called Greytown, yeah. Um, is so vast because people, they could build houses with just their imaginations, apparently. But as soon as they're in contact with other people, they start fighting and then yeah. they move off and then they build another house. And yeah. so this place is sprawled for millions of miles. Yeah. So, so yeah, so there, there is that aspect to the synopsis and, and yeah, the synopsis is that it's, it's this bus ride from hell. Literally it's like the bus from hell. Um, but it's, <laughs> but it's taking, but, it, but it, yeah, the, it's taking these people who are in hell or the bad place to this other place. And we, and at this point in the story, we haven't seen what that is. And I don't, I never finished the book, so I don't remember what it is. Um, but but I guess that's that's part of the journey. And like some people will get to stay when they get there, and some people won't. So we'll see what happens. Um, and it has this very, I guess the 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 you know genre constraints. It's this very dreamy dream mm-hmm. dream sequence sort of place of like yeah, people are just doing these implausible things, and <laughs> you kind of almost expect like a pink elephant to come waltzing by. No kidding. <laughs> um, but. Okay, so here, so here's a here's a question. So for you, for you, Jake, um, as you were reading this, when did you first realize that um, these people were in hell? Um, I wasn't. I wasn't incredibly sure. Like I, like I said, like I'm kind of still not certain because I wasn't sure if it was just like you know only heaven and hell, or like you know some some people describe kind of like purgatory or anything else and so it but it did seem to be like after after the guy was like oh yeah i got hit by a car uh or excuse me i i uh killed myself by a car mm-hmm. um i and reading the description like 
God, I hope this isn't heaven because that would suck. <laughs> so yeah. if that's the only other option, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, you definitely at that point, you get the sense that it's not, definitely not normal life and maybe even uh yeah like a post-life afterlife sort of scenario and i'm thinking now so it's it's a short little book really short little chapters he doesn't do a whole lot with descriptions or world building like his his scenery descriptions are really sparse but really pointed um but somehow uh he does really quickly create the sense that this is just a dreadful uncomfortable awkward place Mm -hmm. to be um and i mean that's maybe that's and i'm gonna write that up to you know literary genius like uh i mean yeah like i like i read this and it it feels like like this 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 bus ride feels like i think i might have felt getting on like a public bus when i was like 15 you know and that was like like the height of my like very like self-righteous conservative like sheltered bubble of like like nobody touched me nobody look at me you all are like gross and weird and like i you know I just don't want to be here. I want to go back to church. I want to go back to my bedroom. I want to, you know, go back to my, you know, my, my, my clean and proper people. And like, and I think I had this very like isolationist, uh, seclusionist mentality, or what is it like? You know, some churches adopt like uh, this, you know, more fortress mentality where we're like, let's just keep mm-hmm. everybody out and like, you know, mm-hmm. keep and everything. Um, in which case, you know, if that's your mentality, yeah, every every anybody who's different or crosses you is gonna feel much more antagonistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally get that. I mean, that's certainly the way that I grew up. Uh, it's funny. I, my first experience with public bus wasn't actually until I was in college. I used to take that bus all the way out uh, to Cheney, which is about 45 minutes away from here. And I always, I always loved the morning bus because it came straight from my like suburb uh, out to Cheney. But coming back, um, they didn't have that route. And so I had to go back to downtown Spokane and then change to uh, one of like the, the most used bus, bus routes, I guess it was, it runs down the streets called Sprague and it's um, it is right down the center of town. And I remember feeling kind of a lot of the exact same way of just like, Oh, don't touch me. You're dirty sort of a thing. Uh, part like eventually I got over, over myself too and it got over it and especially like it it started happening where i was like i would be working graveyard shifts sometimes while i was in college and i'd just be dead tired coming home from school and uh, i started just falling asleep on the bus (laughs) the first time it happened i was so terrified after that i was just like eh just don't stab me take whatever you want i don't care yeah 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 uh oh goodness the the night bus rides that's that's its own adventure Mm -hmm. um yeah well like there's something but i feel like there there's a there's something going on here where i'm gonna presume to speak really really well of us here uh as having started in this more sheltered like like everybody like you don't touch me sort of mode to more i'm presuming from what i know of you and from how i see myself as much more open expansive just more curious and more like Mm -hmm. hey I see beauty in people and I like adventure and I want to connect with people and, and be with people. And I would presume to say that, or I'd venture to say, correct me if I'm wrong, that life is better that way. And I mean, buses are more enjoyable. We enjoy life. We enjoy people because we enjoy mm-hmm. connecting and experiencing things. And, and, and I would say that growth doesn't happen just 
because we're Christian. And it's some of it's just like the, a, a natural, healthy progression of development anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking about like Greytown in this book in particular. And, um, and I think that that's for me, like when I, when I first get this real sense that like, yeah, this is really hellish in a way where it's, there's this really prime value of like hyper isolationism and the way we resolve conflicts is we detach from people and we separate and we isolate. And then we just like, we want space, 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 give me space. Yep. Um, and I just want to get away, which that's how he's depicting hell. But uh, I don't know though. Like when, when, when you see, when you read that description, like I was wondering like, Oh, is he like also like prophetically commenting on like how like people will work or is this like, mildly social commentary also because uh, i don't know i mean i in my counseling work and just watching people like i i see that there is this mentality of here's how the way i'm going to solve relationship problems is just cut people out of my life mm. or there's this high value of like i want to be me i want to have my values or there's this there's another character earlier i think it's like the big man he's going on and on about like you know i have i'm a what does he say I'm a plain man. That's what I am. And I got to have my rights same as anyone else. See, and that's, that's his conflict. And that's his, and that's why like he punched he said that right after he punched a guy out of the line. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, but like you watch, you watch this condensed kind of exaggerated, almost like comical bus ride of people who are so determined to have their rights. So determined to be them and to be untouchable and to have their own little worlds and and the the method of getting there or the cost of getting there is this hyper isolationism that just drives them away from people and and then the you know napoleon bonaparte is this really haunting example of that mm-hmm. of just he's like fifty thousand light years away from everyone else like in his own little house just like pacing back and forth going back and forth about how like everything was everybody else's fault and just like stuck in his own head forever. And I'm just like, Oh, like, yeah. And he's really um, far out. Like the book, the book says it took, um, cause there, there were like two men who wanted to go and find maybe specifically Napoleon or just somebody famous. Like that's like they, these guys are all dead. And so theoretically there should be famous people here. Right. And, uh, it takes them 15,000 years to walk there. Uh, and I think another 15,000 to walk back, or maybe it was both, but yeah, and then it's just like he's out there and the, he, the only source of light in that area was from his house. And he's just like, to me, it sounded like dementia almost um, like walking up and down, complaining about everybody else. But me, it was, you know, the Russians fault. It was the British fault. It was these other people's fault who I don't remember their names because I'm bad with history. Um, like it was that was really kind of stark and you're right i see that a lot in in culture i see that a lot in myself like it's something that i constantly have to fight against like especially because um you know having gone through uh, i mean we've all gone through a lot right i'm i'm certainly not necessarily a unique case but like having gone through um some really tough shifts in my in my personal life especially recently especially when ministry was such a huge portion of my life just times time wise and being kind of shoved out of that um, like blaming, I could easily blame everything on everybody else. Um, and you know, that's not to say that other people aren't at fault. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if I don't want to focus on that, cause that seems like a really sad way to live. It is a sad way to live. And, and you're right. 
life is not all your fault, but some of it is. Mm-hmm. Or, well, the, I, so the, this comes up in my counseling work a lot too, uh, as I'm working with people who have been hurt or, uh, you know, really common scenarios. I'm working with this, you know, person with an addiction who has acted out and betrayed his or her partner and like the partner's really hurt. And, um, and the tendency can be for on both sides to be like, well, it was her fault that I did this. And well, mm. it was his fault that I did this. And this, there's this, there seems like there's this reflex to externalize or to blame or, or, and I'm drawn in some like family systems jargon, but like to take like the victim role, mm-hmm. uh, you know, see everybody else is the antagonist and there was nobody to rescue me. I am just a victim. I'm just a victim. I'm just a victim. And there's this like learned helplessness or self victimization, just like passive approach to life that goes with that. And, um, and it is, it is, it is imbalanced to exclusively be that. And in that, I mean, when I see people there, they're not happy. I mean, it's part of, depression, part of anxiety, part mm-hmm. of just this spiraling stuckness. And um, I I got excited in kind of a morbid way seeing, um, who did we say? He was the the unappreciated communist. The, <laughs> yeah. The guy that, oh, he, he jumped he jumped under a train. But oh, that's right. Yeah. But he, he's this guy who he very much demonstrates this victim mentality. Like, uh, you know, nothing in his life was, he, he's like, nothing in my life was ever good enough for me. And I didn't get the opportunities I needed. Everything was everyone else's fault. Nobody and understood I, me. No. Oh, poor me. Yes. Uh, and I mean, we can kind of like laugh about an extreme version of that, but, but then we're like, but like people do this. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. it's, I have to work to not do this on my own self. Eh? Cause yeah. same. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know what that is. Uh, something about like taking responsibility feels uncomfortable or scary, mm-hmm. which feels weird because like any time that I have done that, like I end up feeling really strong, and it ends up being a really good way of like connecting. But um, but I don't know. I get there, there's this initial aversion to having to be strong or to work or to take ownership for anything. Sure. I don't know. Jake, yeah, tell me about I mean, people. Why do people do what they do? <laughs> I don't know. You're the counselor. I'm I'm ah. just the engineer here. I, we don't we don't do people in my field. <laughs> uh. No, uh, yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it's taking responsibility is scary um, because it, it because it requires more of us. And you know, if I you know if I take that responsibility and I fail theoretically you know i've only myself to blame and i think part of it um comes down to the way that we ascribe worth like we we are a very especially in the states a very uh, meritocratic culture meritocratic i think that's the right word um we ascribe value based on what you've achieved effectively and so if i you know, if I take responsibility for something and I fail at it, then I'm worth less. But if I don't take responsibility and somebody else fails me, quote unquote, um, then my worth is unchanged. That would be my first, like, silly, wild, but guess um, at, you know, why why we have this tendency. There could be that. Uh, we, I mean, we it is rather trendy these days to uh, ascribe a lot to societal pressures and conditioning and narratives. Which, I mean, I think those are pretty real, too. Um, but yes, uh, we do have a very results-oriented uh, idea 
in in our culture. Maybe it's like capitalism. Maybe I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to blame anyone. Where's my yeah. USSR music? Uh, <laughs> I mean, part yeah. of it too. Like I am. I'm a filthy liberal some days when it comes to this i don't know ask me on a different day and i'll be a libertarian sometimes right yeah um but yeah i i think like capitalism is it certainly lends itself if nothing else to to this type of meritocracy thinking yeah so there's there, there's some problems there i mean i don't want to blame any one particular oh, no, political no, no, no. stance for for all of things because yeah. that's just ridiculous but um but yeah this idea that like you're only worth what you produce and only the end result matters in your production uh, that misses out on uh, other other worldviews that allow for you know process is really important and like the experience the relationships are really important and like people might even have like inherent worth possibly mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what they do you know so uh, you know th- those would be nice but but all that to say yeah so I think that that that, that character. Um, speaking of the great divorce (laughs) um um, i think the the unappreciated communist he was one of the characters that really i think he stood out the most to me as Mm -hmm. kind of the most graspable the most relatable in one sense the most scary scary Mm -hmm. in what he shows me about my own self and Mm -hmm. uh and i would say that's more of uh lewis's brilliance in how he's writing he pokes at a lot of things without saying without being mean about it and without <laughs> right without poking yeah um what else let's see i had all of these fancy questions because i was likewise wanting to be very fancy um, <laughs> <laughs> I was, when you sent me the question list too i was like holy crap i am <laughs> so unprepared <laughs> yeah yeah well it's like we said i mean we're you're an engineer, I'm a counselor, and you know we're disciplining ourselves. We're undertaking the discipline to read books like this. Uh, you know, for me because I also am, I'm you know shameless book. I'm writing a book, and I hope that it will also be good and thought provoking. And mm-hmm. uh, at some point, I will maybe not today because I'm not ready for it, but I will read snippets of my own story. I'm excited! Yay! Thank you. Okay. So other other questions. Okay, here's a super, super counselor question. But Jake, when you read this book, how does it make you feel to read this? Oh, um, I mean, you're right. Like Lewis's very short amount of description, but the scene setting and just like all the quarreling, it's like it gives me the sense of um, like I am not comfortable reading a lot of this. It's, you know, kind of like that weird sort of squirminess in your back um but it's you know it i i we've talked about this a lot already but i see portions of myself in this i see portions of other people um in this like my dad had a lot of a lot of this um sort of thing in his life and it's um you know it's certainly not not comfortable i would say is probably the best the best adjective that i could come up with yeah, I, I feel that as you're talking about just the discomfort, I was actually remembering another story that made me uncom- um, another story that made me really uncomfortable. It was the um, was it Metamorphosis, the one where the guy wakes up and he's a beetle. Yeah, yeah. I they, I had to read that in uh, English lit in community college, and I 
did not like that story. And I think not absurdity surreal. Was it like a surreal surreal. sort of story? Yeah. I've not read it myself, but I've heard it. I've heard it described and I've seen some synopses. It's Dostoevsky, right? I don't remember. We'll have to look that up. Um, but yeah, it was just like the surreal, like, this is really weird. And like, I didn't have like a, any paradigm for, for weirdness or what could be interesting about that. Mm-hmm. So like, it was just, it was really hard to get past the beetle because I also don't like bugs, but that's well, fair. Yeah. But yeah. So the, I mean, this has a kind of a similar, just like super surreal feel. Um, but I don't know, because of C.S. Lewis too, there's something really nostalgic about it. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of takes me back to, you know, at school days we had a, at, at Multnomah University, we had a professor at, you know, Gary Friesen, Dr. G, who taught the C.S. Lewis class and just loved C.S. Lewis and the Old Testament and the Bible. But, you know, he was, um, he was, what he was, he famously had converted his house into a shrine to C.S. Lewis, specifically, <laughs> specifically the Chronicles of Narnia. And it was, yeah. you know, the house was called you know, Aslan's How, and like every room was themed after one of the Chronicles of Narnia. And he collected like, hundreds and hundreds of items related to you know the stories and all of these like special editions and you know he had swords and wardrobes and things and it was just uh it was um about as famous as the school itself uh so there's part of there's this nostalgia reading this that takes me back to that mm-hmm. uh because that was fun okay so here's a here's a, here's a bookish question that i feel like fancy book readers Ooh. ask uh but <clears throat> what do you see are the central conflicts in this, in just the first couple chapters? Um, I mean, it's the, the conflict with fellow man is, that was a fancy way of saying it, uh, <laughs> is, is definitely probably the, the most prevalent conflict that's here. Uh, people, it's, people are shown as to have like not wanting to be around people. In fact, I was, um, I think the only example of, people staying with people i guess there were two there was the the couple who quarreled with everybody around them and then there was the two fellows who go went to go visit napoleon and it's never never shared like what their uh their relationship is or anything like that oh you know there was a third one um the two non-gendered folks i think is what is kind of how lewis described the very beginning yeah 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 there are a lot of the those conflicts between people and and even within those the, those dyads, there's there's conflicts between those anyway, even right. though they're sticking together. So yeah, you definitely see just as this theme, people are in conflict with each other, uh, which I yeah I see that too. It almost seems like there's um, I'm trying to think. There's feels like there's a little bit of a conflict between like the the, the narrator and whoever's like running the bus mm. in a sense of we want to get somewhere and there's these things that are going to hold us back and we don't fully know what they are, but they're kind of inescapable. So, so there's that. And in a way too, you almost get the sense that it, there's this conflict of attitude worldview almost. I need like, like if I'm, if I'm setting myself in the character or setting myself in there with, with the narrator, uh, I have to, yeah, it's like like kind of like me me versus the bus or me versus the the, the whoever because like I need to figure something out and I I need to write my own self in order to get to the other place. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reading into it a little bit <laughs> more for this stage of the book, but it kind of feels like it's going to end up being uh, this like the primary conflict is an internal one. 
Hmm. Maybe. I'm, 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 I'm reaching and speculating and looking ahead, but that also, but, but again, knowing, knowing Lewis and knowing some of his worldview, that, that kind of seems plausible that sure might find really like, it's not really about like your disagreements with other people because they're all on their own other journey. And really we should all be worrying about our own selves and just, you know, you need to master your own self in there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, certainly I would, I would say that's a good point. I don't know whether or not that's what he's getting at, but I would not be surprised if that's what kind of where we're headed. Yeah, definitely. Any other, uh, what are some other uh, favorite parts or technical comments or. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious about this concept of like real things. Um, and that's in air quotes. I forget this is an audio only podcast. Um, which is good because I don't look very good at this early in the morning. <laughs> but like the, you know, one of the characters the protagonist meets is kind of this entrepreneurial sort of guy um, who wants to bring back a, something real to sell because capitalism brings people together was kind of his his thesis. I'm I, That is very reductive to what uh, this guy said. Um, but even in the beginning, in the preface of the book, Lewis talks about this concept of an indestructible material um, and how like he used it sort of in this book. Um, we haven't gotten there yet. And so I'm curious, like how those are going to play together, things like that. And so this is, that seems like a very curious thing to me. And because I also am a bit of a fan of Lovecraftian sort of horror, uh, that concept of like what happens at night and the, and the fear uh, kind of has me intrigued. That was some really good foreshadowing. I was thinking like I am Legion, vampires, zombies, mm-hmm. something, something. Um, but yes, well, I will definitely, I'm looking forward to seeing just what was meant by that. Cause I, from the last time I tried to read it, I didn't remember that part at all. Uh, I do remember the, a little bit about what the, the, the truly real thing is versus the unreal thing. Sure. That, that's coming up. That That's super interesting when that comes up. Um, and I think that's about all that I remember from last time I tried to read it. Other than I think at some point we meet the Emperor Trajan. Ooh. So, yes, because it's the afterlife and there's famous people here. Right. So, um, okay. So transitioning topics slightly. So since this is a story about a bus, um, do you have bus, bus references? <laughs> um, I only have a few, at least in okay. modern culture. Um, okay. ma- magic school bus, of course. Okay. I loved Magic School Bus growing up. Mrs. Frizz. Oh, Mrs. Frizz. Um, yes, so cool. Uh, and then, uh, what was the... Oh, Speed. Uh, movie with, was it Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. They're trying to um, stop this bus from exploding. If they go under, I think it was like 50 or 60 miles per hour Something in the inner city. Stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was going to explode. And so, right. um, the other thing, funny talking about buses uh, in especially in engineering, but this kind of applies to a lot of fields. Um, we have what's called the bus factor. Oh, we're very morbid people. And so what this is, is how many of your employees, developers on your team, whatever, um, can get hit by a bus before your product falls apart. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it's, it's talking about, you know, like how, how deep redundancy you have with your workforce, things like that. Um, and most companies, my, my current one really included fail pretty badly at the bus factor. And it's not, you know, theoretically, it's not just getting hit by a bus. It's like, you know, if you have a, a, a developer suddenly leave, 
um, hit, getting hit by a bus is just that a would very be very sudden, vivid yeah. example. Yeah. Uh, you know, how would you recover from that? So, yeah. So is this talking about, you know, people should be specialized and you shouldn't have like one person doing four person's jobs. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it should be like, there should be some form of redundancy, whether that's, you know, especially in people, but also like, how's your documentation? If somebody leaves, do they take a whole lot of institutional knowledge with them? Do you have that stored somewhere else other Ooh. than their brains? Ouch. Like, yeah. And it's, it can get pretty bad in engineering fields, especially like, you know, right now I'm working in kind of the scientific field where, um, oddly enough, there's not a whole lot of standardization or documentation for my section. Um, there is in like sciencey science, like the real scientists I'm, I'm working is like one of the software people. Um, but there's no, like, there's not a whole lot of documentation or how we should do things. And so, yeah, it's really tough. Like there's, there's stuff that I don't even know. Uh, and I keep having to track people down, like, tell me what this thing is. Why is this here? It makes no sense. And sometimes it's uh, actually a lot of times it's just like, oh, yeah, I that was a dumb mistake. Don't like move right. that. So the, so the engineering field relies on oral tradition quite heavily then. Sometimes. That's and amazing. it's terrifying. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think how the mental health agent industry would go, survive the bus test. I, I don't think very well either. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's great, though. Um, what other what other uh, literary references to buses do you have these stand out? Oh, I think those are those are okay. my major ones. OK, uh, OK, I've got I've got a couple. Mm -hmm. um, those those are great. So I, I also thought of speed uh, because it just and I, I might not have actually seen the whole movie, but just like the concept is pretty stand up yeah. memorable. Um, so one of one of mine. Um, so in the the Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, Memory Eternal. Oh, uh, yeah. So like the op like the opening bank robbery scene. The twist is that he escapes on a school bus by putting uh, by pulling the school bus out from like this destroyed bank into a line of a whole bunch of other school buses, and then escapes because that's just really really clever. So I mean that's kind of a quick one. Um, uh, one of my others. So this one's kind of cheating because it was technically, I think, like a Volkswagen bus. But the movie Little Miss Sunshine, where... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, okay, good, okay, good, good, you've seen it. So it's this, you know, really dysfunctional family that has a lot of, like, un unresolved things. They do this road trip to take their little girl to a beauty pageant, and then lots of family drama ensues. It's brilliantly written, hilariously funny, really sad, and just excellent in just about every way. And it, yep. like... The, the Volkswagen bus is its own uh, is its own character. Um, one of my other references, so it's um, All Aboard for the Bobo Road by Stephen Davies. It's actually a kid's book, um, one that my kids really love. But it's um, Big Ali. He's this bus driver in Burkina Faso, and he's driving this delivery bus, and he's got his kids with him, and it stops at, like, uh, a bunch of different famous landmarks in... Uh, in Burkina Faso on the way to Ouagadougou. And it just, the illustrations are beautiful. The story is really fun. It's like a counting story. And oh, cool. they're just really radiant and really lovely. I recommend the fur for kids so, so much. Absolutely. Um, but I think my, my all-time favorite um, bus reference in literature is uh, the night bus from Harry Potter. In the Prisoner oh Basketball my Band. gosh. How did I not remember that one? <laughs> How did you not re recommend? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or was it like the little shrunken head? It's like, welcome to the night bus. Yeah. 
Oh gosh, that was so trippy when I saw that in the movie. So stressful, but uh-huh. so wonderful. Yeah, I just I, I love it very much. So anyway, those are my references to buses in literature that I like, and we'll have to find some other theme for that in the next chapters. Yes. Um. All right. So we're going to uh, wrap this discussion to a close. Thank you for the listener. Thank you. Yes, thank you for listeners. Uh, thank you, <laughs> <laughs> thank you to the listener for having a kind of casual, wandering conversation about a book with us. Um, we'll so plan for next next session, next episode. Uh, if you're following with us, you can read the next two chapters, and um, we'll uh, have some fun there. Um, in optimism, by the time this releases, hopefully there will be a website and a Facebook group that you can track down <laughs> or something. <laughs> but none of that's in place yet because we're starting with conversation and putting the choppings on later. So cool. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Word and Journey is a podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares, or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Bernabe. Moses Bernabe can be found at MosesBernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd with additional development by Moses Bernabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.